0: Okay, بَابْ مَا يَلْبَسُ الْمُحْرِمُ مِنَ الْثِيَابِ وَالْأَرْضِيَةِ وَالْأُزُرِ Now the question is answered. That What exactly should the muhrim wear? So ما يَلْبَسُ الْمُحْرِمُ What the muhrim should wear مِنَ الْثِيَابِ Of clothing. وَالْأَرْضِيَةِ And ardiya is plural of ridha' which is upper garment. وَالْأُزُرِ which is a plural of izar which is the waist wrapper. Okay, Imam Bukhari says uh, the translation of this is not in your book So make sure you write it down عَائِشَةُ رَضِيَ الله عنها, And عائشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنها Wore What did she wear? المعصفرة, clothes that were colored Particularly red So basically she wore red clothes وَهِيَ مُحْرِمَةٌ While she was in a state of ihram So as a woman, she's wearing red clothes. Okay? Can a woman wear red clothes? Of course she can. So this means that in ihram, a woman will wear her regular clothing, whatever color it is. وقالت and she said, لا تلثم that ولا تتبرقع تلثم is to partly veil the face and تتبرقع from برقع to fully veil. So basically, she said that the niqab should not be worn. وَلَا تَلْبَسْ ثَوْبًا بِوَرْسٍ وَلَا زَعْفَرَانٍ And she should not wear a clothing that has been stained with wars or za'faran. And wars and za'faran both are plants or flowers and from them you get fragrance as well as color. So we see the same ruling for men and women over here. وَقَالَ جَابِرٌ and Jabir said that, لا أرى المؤصفة طيبا. I do not think that المؤصفة is a scent. Because remember that Aisha radiallahu Anha wore clothing that was المؤصفة? So remember that, you know, they use different kinds of things, some only for color, some for color and fragrance. So Jabir explained that المؤصفة is not a scent. It's just color. Okay? It's just a dye. It doesn't, uh, have any scent to it. So basically, if she wore these clothes that were mu'asfar, then there's nothing wrong with that. وَلَمْ عَائِشَةُ بَأْسًا And Aisha radiAllahu anha did not see any problem, any harm, in what? bilhuliyi with jewelry. Like for example, a woman is wearing her ring, her bracelet, her necklace, earrings. There's nothing wrong with that. وثوب الْأَسْوَدِ Or... Black clothing, والموارد or pink clothing, والخوفي or leather socks, للمرأة for a woman. And this shows us that women at the time also wore colorful clothes. وَقَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ لَا بَأْسَ أَنْيُبْدِلَثِيَابَهُ And Ibrahim said that there is no harm if he changes his clothes, meaning a muhrim can change his ihram or her ihram as long as what you change into meets the conditions same conditions for a man we discuss them and for a woman also we discuss them so as long as the clothes that a muhrim changes into are fine, there is nothing wrong with that so let's say if a person is going for hajj and they take with themselves three ihrams just so that they can change, or even more than that. And it's actually good to change because you're traveling, you're uh, sweating, you're outside, you're, you know, so it's always better to stay fresh so that you can focus on your ibadah. So the muhrim can change their clothes for any reason. You don't have to do the hajj in the same ihram, that you wear it on one day and then you take it off after 10 days or 7 days. Then also remember that a muhrim can shower. Okay, a muhrim can shower and showering means that you also have to Pour water on your head and that is perfectly fine. We learned that once someone asked this question and uh, they went to Abu Ayyub radiallahu anhu. Okay. And Abu Ayyub radiallahu anhu at that time was actually taking a shower. Okay. And uh, somebody was helping him, you know, pouring water for him. And the man asked him that, is it permissible to take a shower pour, you know, wash your head during Ihram? Okay. And Abu Ayyub radiallahu anhu had the water poured on his head and he rubbed his head and he said, I saw the Prophet sallallahu alaihi doing this in Ihram. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking a shower. There's now competition between this kind of abaya or that kind of hijab. And I mean, yes, it happens, but, uh, you know, our religion is very practical, right? So if, for example, women were restricted to wearing a certain type of clothing, then it would make their life much more hard. Because first of all, for example, if it's loose clothing, like a waist wrapper and things like that, it's difficult to wear that easily while maintaining your proper hijab also. And then secondly, another concern is that uh, a lot of women have children with them. Children can be very messy. So it's sort of convenience, you know, for women. Let's look at the hadith. Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr al-Maqtami narrated Sulaiman said, Musa ibn Uqbah narrated to me, he Abdullah ibn Abbas, So Abdullah ibn Abbas is reporting that the Prophet, left Medina. after he combed his hair and oiled his hair. The Prophet ﷺ oiled his hair and combed his hair before leaving Medina, okay, and before leaving Medina for Hajj. So basically, he got ready properly. Walabisa and he wore his izar and his rida. Huwa wa he and his companions. So all the men wore what izar and rida, and this shows us that a man should wear this for. إحرام. فَلَمْ عن شيء من الأرضية, And he did not forbid anything of ardiya, ardiya as in upper garment, والأُزُرِ and the lower garments, تلبسوا, that are worn, إِلَّا المزعفرة, Except for the muza'fara, أَلَّتِي تَرْدَعُ عَلَى الجلدي, That which clings to the skin. So basically what we see over here is, before we continue with the hadith, that the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, they all wore izar and rida. And the Prophet ﷺ allowed any kind of izar and rida. The only thing was, it should not have perfume on it. So basically, anything that can be called an izar, regardless of color, material, okay, stitched or not, hemmed or not, can be worn as izar and rida. Then in the morning he at Dhul Huleifa. what happened? Rakiba rahilatahu he mounted his camel hatta stawa al and he went on until he reached al bayda ahalla huwa wa ashabuhu wa qallada badanatahu so when he reached Bayda he and his companions said the talbiya. and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam garlanded his sacrificial animals over here. And وَذَلِكَ لِخَمْسٍ بَقِينَ مِنْ ذِلْقَعْدَ And that was on the 25th of Dhul-Qa'da. So what do we see over here? That the Prophet ﷺ spent the night at dhul And in the morning, he said the Talbiya. He went to Bayda, okay, which is very close to Dhul-Hulaifah. He said the Talbiya garlanded his sacrificial animals. What does it mean by garlanding? Qallada. The thing is, for us, sacrificial animals are what? Going to a particular kiosk and buying a ticket, right? That tells you by this time your qurbani will be done and you can come out of the state of ihram, right? We never see the animals, we never see the meat. We have no idea of what happens. But remember that traditionally what's supposed to happen is, this is a sunnah in fact, that a person can take their animal, which they're going to offer a sacrifice with them to Makkah. And this animal is called Hadi. Hadi, And it's called Hadi because it's being taken to Makkah. Because Ihda is to take something from one place to another. This is why Hidayah is guidance. Because what happens with guidance is that a person moves from one state to another. There is a transformation. There is a change. So a Hadi is an animal that is taken for slaughter. Now, the thing is that, you know, even a camel can be taken as, you know, for sacrifice and other animals are taken as sacrifice. So uh, to identify the animals that this animal is for sacrifice, to separate that animal from the rest, what people would do is that they would put a garland on, on those animals. And that garland would be made of different things, sometimes even with a cloth or wool. And sometimes they would even just take a sandal and, you know, tie that or, you know, hang it with a rope and, and put that on, on the animal. So first of all, it helped the people identify, okay, this animal is for hadi and this is for riding. Because remember that people would travel in groups. And secondly, another benefit was that wherever they would be traveling from, when the people When the locals would see That okay this group of people is traveling But with them there are animals that are garlanded They would know that these people are going for Hajj And so they would spare them They wouldn't attack them So it was also a benefit So the Prophet ﷺ Qallada badanatahu And remember that this is a sunnah Then what happened Faqadima makkata Li arba'i layalin Khaluna min dhil then he reached Makkah on the 4th of Dhul-Hijjah. Okay, when four nights had passed of Dhul-Hijjah, meaning 4th of Dhul-Hijjah. sa'a Safa And when he reached Makkah, what did he do? He did tawaf of the house and he did sa'i between Safa and Marwa. وَلَمْ يَحِلَّ مِنْ أَجْلِ بُدْنِهِ لِأَنَّهُ قَلَّدَهَا Now this is important. He did not come out of ihram. Why? Because of his camels that he had garlanded. Now remember that when you're going for Hajj. Remember the Hajj Tamattur, Hajj Qiran, and Hajj Ifrad. Hajj Ifrad is that you only do Hajj. Okay? And basically for that, a sacrificial animal is not required. For Hajj Tamattur and Hajj Qiran. For these two Hajj, a sacrificial animal is required. Now what is the difference between hajj tamattur and hajj quran? Tamattur, there is some advantage. What's the advantage? You get a break in the middle. From what? From the state of ihram. Right? How does that happen? When you reach Makkah, you do umrah. You come out of the state of ihram. When the time of hajj comes, you put on ihram again and you go for hajj. But what's happening in hajj quran is that there's only one ihram. And for hajj Qiran, okay. You have to bring the animal yourself. Okay, this is one of the conditions. Okay, you have to bring the animal with you for sacrifice. So the Prophet ﷺ brought his sacrificial animals with him. What does that mean? Which Hajj was he doing? Qiran. So he did not come out of Ihram after what? After the Umrah. He stayed in Ihram. Then he dismounted at the highest part of Mecca at Al Hajum, a place Still in Ihram, because he was muhil, he was saying the Talbiya. Tawafihi biha hatta And then he did not go near the Kaaba. This is also an important detail for us to note. Uh, he did not go near the Kaaba after his Tawaf until after returning from Arafah. So basically, his Tawaf was which one? Of the Umrah. Right? He arrived in Makkah, did Umrah, and then he went to Hajun. And he was still in Ihram. And he was still saying the Talbiyah. When is the next time he went to the Kaaba to do Tawaf? After returning from Arafah. Okay. I want you to think about this. He's there for a couple of days at least, okay? And he did not do tawaf in the middle. Why? What do you think the wisdom is? Okay, because if he did something then it would be necessary for us to do it also, or it might become at least recommended and that would create difficulty for people. So many people find it hard to even just do umrah. They need a few days to rest and recover and then go for hajj. So what other benefit do you think there is? Okay. Think about it. If you go for hajj, right? And you do your umrah and now there's five days until hajj starts, until you have to go to arafah. What would you do on those five days? Every day at least one tawaf. Isn't it? At least one tawaf if not two or three. Correct? Correct? And the Prophet ﷺ did not do any tawaf Because people were coming for hajj And the area was busy And who had more right to do tawaf? People who are doing umrah Right? People who are coming for hajj Isn't it? So remember that there's wisdom in this That if people start doing tawaf repeatedly Especially a few days before hajj Then the mataaf, the area around the Kaaba would become so full that people who have to do tawaf will find it so hard. And doesn't that happen? I remember when I went for Hajj, just to do tawaf of the Hajj, it took us like almost two hours. Almost two hours because I was determined to do tawaf on the, you know, ground level. So me and my sister, we went and my brother, we went and we lost each other, okay, because of the crowds. And you know, we made our way somehow to the rooftop, and it took us so long. So the thing is that you know sometimes you know we're eager to do good deeds, but we have to be considerate of others also that okay, I have fulfilled my obligation. Now these people are coming, and they should have a right to perform their ibadah comfortably. Similarly, when we go to the Masjid or anywhere. In any place, once we have fulfilled our obligation, done our work, then let's move away from there so that other people can come and do their work instead of just hanging out over there or taking advantage of it again and again for our personal benefit. And yes, we should be eager for more reward, but at the same time, we have to be considerate of other people. Look at how the Prophet ﷺ was so considerate. wa walmarwati. He instructed his companions to do tawaf of the house and then to go between safa and marwa, basically to do umrah. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. But what did the companions do? He told them to do umrah. And then he told them that after your umrah, That they should trim their hair. And trimming the hair means what? That you are coming out of the state of ihram. So basically, he told them to, summa يَحِلُّوا that they should come out of the state of ihram. Why did he tell them to do that? What hajj were they doing? Hajj tamattr. And وَذَٰلِكَ لِمَنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ مَعَهُ badana قَلَّدَهَا This was for the one who did not bring with him a camel with a garland. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ مَعَهُمْ رَأَتُوهُ فَهِيَ لَهُ حَلَالِ وَالطِّيبُ thiyab and, you know, whoever was with his wife, you know, basically marital relations were allowed and also fragrance and uh, regular clothing. Basically, the restrictions of ihram were removed. So, basically, we see over here the difference between Hajj, Quran and Tamatta. Staying the night at Dhul Hulayfa until morning. Because we see in the previous hadith the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stayed there. قاله Ibn عمر رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. Ibn Umar reported this as we saw in the previous hadith. رواه. ابن another hadith over here. رواه. ابن عمر رواه. مُحَمَّدْ ابن عمر رواه. ابن عمر رواه. ابن عمر رواه. ابن Anas radiallahu anhu reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa prayed four raka'at in Medina. وَبِذِي الْحُلَيْفَةِ رَكَعَتَيْنَ And at ذو الحُلَيْفَةِ he prayed two raka'at. Summa Bata, Then he spent the night over there حَتَّى أَصْبَحَ بِذِي الْحُلَيْفَةِ And then in the morning what happened? فَلَمَّا رَكِبَ رَاحِلَتَهُ وَاسْتَوَتْ بِهِ أَهَلَّ Then when he rode his animal, his the camel, and he was settled on it properly, he said the talbiya. So what do we see over here? That the Prophet ﷺ prayed Zuhr in Medina. He left, prayed Asr in dhul Huleifa, and he spent the night over there. So if let's say you are in Medina before Hajj, and you have to of course go to Makkah now, so you could also leave at this time after Zuhr. Okay? And you make it to dhul Huleifa. it's not going to take you very long. Maybe it will, depending on the traffic. But at Dul hulaifah you pray Asr. all right? And you might have to spend the night in the car, maybe on the street, on the road in traffic. You might have to, but you don't have to. It's not a requirement to spend the night in Dhul-Hulaifah. Even though the Prophet ﷺ did that. And there was a reason behind it, because that's how they would travel. Right? That's how they would travel. And the Prophet ﷺ's way was also whenever he would be traveling, especially with so many people, then he would leave the city and wait outside, sometimes overnight, so that everybody could catch up. And then everybody would leave together. حَدَّثْنَا Anas bin Malik reported, the Prophet ﷺ prayed four raka'at zuhur in Medina. وصلى العصر بذي الحلايفة ركعتين. And he prayed Asr two raka'at in Zul الحلايفة. قال وأحسبه بات بها حتى أصبح. And he said, I think that he stayed the night there until the morning. باب رفع الصوت بالإهلال. Now we're talking about the Talbiya. So how should the Talbiyah be said? Imam Bukhari said, رفع الصوت. Raising the voice, meaning it should be said in an audible manner for a man and for a woman. But raising the voice does not mean you have to shout. It means that you should say it in a way that it can be heard. And ihlal is to say the talbiyah. Hadathana Sulaiman <laughs> ibn Harb, hadathana Hamad ibn Zayd, عن Ayyub, عن Abi Qilabata, عن Anasin radiallahu anhu, قال صلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بالمدينة الظخرة أربعاً Anas radiallahu anhu reported The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Prayed Four raka'at al-madina Of zuhr Wal asra Bidil al-hulayfati And two raka'at at dhu al Of asr Wasami'atuhum yasrukhuna bihima jami'a And he said I heard them Meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And the companions What were they doing? Yasrukhuna Yasrukhuna Sarakha Sarakha is to Scream Okay it's also used for screaming. Uh, but of course what is meant here is not that they were screaming, but that they were saying out loud Bihima for both of them. For what? For Hajj and for Umrah. Jamiran together. Meaning they were saying لَبَّيْكَ Umratan وَحَجًّا They did not just say Talbiya for Hajj. If you're going for Hajj only, you say لَبَّيْكَ Hajjan. If you're going only for Umrah, you said لَبَّيْكَ Umratan. But if you're going for Hajj and you're going to do Umrah first, then what are you doing? لَبَّيْكَ wa hajjan. So Anas radiallahu anhu said that the Prophet and the companions said both. And this teaches us very clearly that Talbiya, should be said out loud. Meaning the noise should be heard. Right? Noise should be heard. You see, any anywhere, anytime that people gather together, especially for something that they like, then there are certain slogans that people say or certain words that they say out loud. Right? Even in a game. Right? You hear certain words being repeated again. Defense, defense. Right? So it gets you excited. Doesn't it? And uh, if everybody was saying it softly, quietly, you wouldn't have that feeling. That excitement wouldn't be there. Even people who don't know a thing about that game, when they hear that noise, they feel so involved. They feel so affected. So uh, just like that, when you're going for hajj, you're going for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the talbiya should be said loudly. So whether it is in the plane... Or it is in the car Or wherever it is that you are Say the talbiya out loud And this is a sunnah Because you see Anas who said that يَصْرُخُونَ بِهِمَ It was as if people were shouting Because everybody was saying the talbiya So this noise should be heard Bab number 26 Bab at-talbiya The talbiya Talbiya is um, As one companion described it It is the adornment of hajj It's the beauty of hajj and there is a lot of reward for saying the words of talbiyah. In a hadith we learn, which is not reported over here, but it is authentic. It's in a silsilatul sahihah. We learn that the Prophet ﷺ said that time that a, a person says the words of talbiyah, he is given good news. So it was asked good news of Jannah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes. So saying the words of the Talbiyah itself is so virtuous. And remember that uh, the Talbiyah, pronouncing the Talbiyah, is actually the way of the Prophets. We learn in a hadith that when Isa alayhi salam will come and uh, he will go for hajj, the Prophet ﷺ said, لَيُهِلَّنَّ That he will also say the Talbiyah. In another hadith, we learn about the Prophet ﷺ mentioning Musa ﷺ and also Yunus ﷺ. Both of these prophets going for Hajj and saying the Talbiyah. So saying the Talbiyah is the way of the prophets, and the Prophet ﷺ in fact taught the words of the Talbiyah, as we can see in the hadith. Abdullah ibn Yusuf akhbarana Malik an an Abdullah ibn Umar أن تلبية رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, That the talbiya of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, When he went for Hajj was what? لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ لَبَّيْكَ إِنَّ الْحَمْدَ لَكَ وَالْمُلْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ So these were the words of talbiya that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said. What is the meaning of these words? The word لَبَّيْكَ First of all, talbiya by the way, talbiya is to say, Labaik. And Labaika, you see, Ka, Ka means you. Okay? Like for example, when someone sneezes, you say, Yarhamu Kalla. Ka means you. May Allah have mercy on you. And the plural of Ka is Kum. Okay? Assalamu alaykum. So, Ka means you, and Labbay. The word Labbay, you see the A sound, it shows us that this is a dual. In Arabic, you have three—not tenses, but forms. One is for singular, the other is for dual, and the other is for the third is for plural. So, labay uh, is for dual, okay? And uh, it doesn't mean twice, but it means again and again. Okay. Now, what is the meaning of labba? Labba means to follow or obey a call or invitation. So someone invites you and you respond. Someone tells you to do something and you comply. You obey. You carry out the order. So it is basically to respond, to obey, and also to face someone. So for example, it is said, fulanin talubbu dari. that the house of so and so faces my house. Talubbu. Okay, it faces my house. So it is to. Labbayk, when you're saying Labbayk, what you're saying is that, oh Allah, I present myself to you. I answer you. I obey you. I am here for you. I respond to you. And Labbay means again and again. So basically the entire journey of Hajj is what? Obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Because you see what happens is that when you're fasting, okay, you are thinking about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are in a state of worship but you're only worshipping from when to when from before sunrise until sunset maximum how many hours 22 hours 20 hours 18 hours right even you know, that's really long but it's it's a short amount of time right when you're praying salah then for how long are you worshipping allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a few minutes but when you go for hajj Then for how long? Several days. Isn't it? And then when you're fasting, you just have a few restrictions. And other than that, you can sleep, you can work, you can travel, you can drive, you can cook, you can do whatever you want. Right? But when you're at Hajj, then there's so many restrictions. Restrictions of ihram and then you have to be at Arafat at a certain time you have to be at minah at a certain time you have to be at muzdalifah at a certain time and the rituals uh, you know they go on and on so uh, basically during hajj you're constantly bringing yourself back to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you're making yourself turn to allah face allah again and again and again so Baika means that here i am i am at your service I, I am responding to you, I am obeying you, I present myself before you, not once, but again and again. So then this means that while we're doing Hajj and we're saying the Talbiya, should we be complaining? Because that doesn't make sense, right? Okay. Then, Labbaika, Allahumma Labbaik. Allahumma means, oh Allah, Labbaik again is mentioned. This repetition is for not just emphasis, but also, you see, this is like an, affirmation almost right that you are telling yourself i'm here for allah and then again لَبَّيْكَ la sharika lak la sharika lak there is no partner for you meaning oh allah you have no partner and this emphasizes ikhlas that i am here only for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and nothing else and then إِنَّ hamda wa ni'mata that hamd praise and ni'ma Meaning blessing is yours. Meaning all praise is to you and all blessing is also from you. How is this relevant over here? Because if you're able to go for Hajj, if you're able to do anything, then all praise and thanks to who? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gave you the ability. And Nirmah is yours. Which Nirmah? All blessings. Whether they are worldly blessings or religious blessings or this blessing that you are able to go for hajj and take each step that you're taking, this is also a blessing. And then wal mulk, and also all dominion is yours. La sharika lak, again, tawheed is emphasized. In fact, the the words of Talbiya has been referred to as tawheed also. Because you are mentioning the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you're not just saying that Allah has no partner, but when you're saying again and again, la لَبَيْكْ You are showing or demonstrating that really all worship and all service is dedicated only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He alone is worthy of it. حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ يُوسِفْ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانَ عَنِ الْأَعْمَشْ عَنْ عَنْ أَبِي عَطِيَّةَ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ Aisha anha said that I know How the Prophet sallallahu used to say the Talbiya. He used to say la لا شريك لك لبيك إن الحمد لك. So here only the word والملك is missing in this narration. And uh, this is something that we should be aware of that sometimes we do learn about a certain ذكر but with multiple narrations and slight differences. Okay? And this almost is ease for us. Tabahu abu muawiyata anil amash. Waqala shu'batu akbarana Suleyman samirtu khaythamata an Abiyatayat samirtu a'ishat radiallahu anhah. Bab at ta'hmeedi wa tasbihi wa takbiri kabla al ihlali عند rukubi ala dhabah. Saying tahmid. Ta'hmeed is to say alhamdulillah, wa tasbihi, saying subhanallah, wa takbir, saying Allahu akbar. Saying all of this, qabla al-ihlali, before saying the talbiya, when عند الْرُكُوبِ عَلَى dhabba, while getting onto one's animal. So basically, you're going for hajj, you are getting into your vehicle, okay, let's say you are in zul you stop there, you enter into Ihram, and now you're getting into the car. So, at that time, you will say the dua, you will praise and glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then you will also say the talbiya. This is being discussed over here because so that no person thinks that doing dhikr alone is enough. وَلَذِكْرُ أَكْبَرُ Of course, the dhikr of Allah is the greatest. But for hajj, there is a certain dhikr that we have been taught, okay, which we cannot ignore. So saying the talbiya is necessary. مُوسَى بْنُ اسمعيل, أبو هيب, أَيُوبِ عَنْ أَبِي قلابة. عن أنس رضي الله عنه قال صلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أنس رضي الله عنه the الله ونحن while we were with him in Medina and he prayed for Dhuhr, four rakats. ركعتين and he prayed Asr at الحليفة, two raka'at. why two raka'at? we read this earlier also. exactly because of traveling he shortened the prayer. Then he spent the night over there until the morning came, summa hatta al And then he rode onto his animal until he reached at Bayda. Hamid Allah wa And when he got onto his ride, he praised Allah and he glorified Allah and he said Allahu Akbar. Summa ahalla wa And then he said the Talbiya for Hajj and Umrah. So we see that he did dhikr and he also said the Talbiya. So the talbiyah is Important. And the people also said the Talbiya of both of them, meaning for Hajj and Umrah. Then when we reached, when we went forth, the Prophet ﷺ instructed the people and they came out of the state of home And we read the detail earlier as to when he told them to do that. Until it was the day of Tarwiya, a بِالْحَجِّ Then the people Sat the Talbiya for Hajj. Yawm is basically the day when the pilgrims go from Makkah to Arafah. Tarwiya is to water animals. Okay, and the people would do that before starting the next step of the journey, which is basically beginning the rituals of Hajj, Okay, going to Arafah. So on the day of Tarwiya, Ahallu Hajji, they set the Talbiya for Hajj, because they're entering into the state of ihram again. وَنَحَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم بَدَنَاتٍ بِيَدِهِ قِيَامًا And the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered camels with his hand while standing. Meaning a camel is to be slaughtered while it is standing. When it comes to smaller animals, you lay them down. But when it comes to a camel, it has to be standing. And there is a reason for that because you cannot make an animal of that size lie down. وَذَبَحَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ بِالْمَدِينَةِ كَبْشَيْنِ أَمْلَحَيْنِ And in Medina, when it was Eid al-Adha, meaning in another year, the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered كَبْشَيْن What is كَبْشَيْن? Rams. And these were أَمْلَحَيْن White and black. So basically, on Eid al-Adha, the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered sheep. And at Hajj, what did he sacrifice? Camels. قَالَ Abu عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ هَذَا عَنْ أَيُوبَ عَنْ رَجُلٍ عَنْ أَنَسٍ. So the hadith is clear. The emphasis of saying the talbiya is obvious. بَاب مَنْ أَهَلَّ حِينَ بِهِ Saying the talbiya when one's mount is completely upright. Upright as in you sit on the camel, the camel gets up, it's stable, then you say the talbiya. Basically, you don't say talbiya when you're rushing. Okay. When you're like on the move, because you're sort of distracted, you should say it in a state of calmness. حدّثنا أبو عاصم أخبرنا ابن قال أخبرني صالح بن كيسان عن نافع عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال أهل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حين استوت So Ibn umar said the Prophet وسلم, said the Talbiyah when his mount was completely upright. باب الاهلال مستقبل القبلة saying the talbiya while facing the qibla وقال ابو معمر and this is an important detail for us وقال ابو معمر حدثنا عبد الوارث حدثنا ايوب عن نافع قال كان ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما اذا صلى بِالْغَدَاتِ بذل حليفة امر سم ركبة. so Nafer reported that when ibn umar used to pray in the morning at الحلايفة, he would order that his mount is brought and saddled. Why? So that he's ready for the journey. And then he would mount it. فَإِذَا And when his mount would be completely upright, إِسْتَقْبَلَ الْقِبْلَةَ قَائِمًا He would face the qibla while his camel was standing. حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الْمَحْرَمَ Then he would say the talbiya. And he would continue to say it until he reached mahram. Mahram as in haram. And in some manuscripts, the word haram is also found. What do you have in your... Haram or mahram? Haram? Okay. So same thing, Makkah. So basically he would continue to say the talbiya until he reached the haram. Then he would stop saying the talbiya, yumsiku, until he would reach Zutwa and he would spend the night over there, and he would stay there until the morning. فَإِذَا الْغَدَاتَ اِغْتَسَلَ. And then after the morning prayer, he took a shower. Wasāmah and Rasūl Allāh and he said that the Prophet sallallāhu alayhi وَسَلَمَ did the same. Ta'barhu Ismā'il an Ayub fil ghasli. So we see over here. That Abdullah ibn Umar radiAllahu anhu because remember he was very conscious about following the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right. So what did he do? He faced the qibla and then he started saying the talbiyah and he continued to say it until he reached the Haram, Makkah, and then after the Umrah he stopped for some time, meaning the talbiyah. So this means that yes, you say the talbiyah, but it's not that you have to say it non-stop. You can take a break every now and then, and there is nothing wrong with that. Haditha Sulayman ibn Dawood Abu Rabi'ah Haditha Fuleyha an Naf'een, قال كان ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما إذا أراد الخروج إلى مكة ادهن بدهن ليس له رائحة طيبة. That when Ibn Umar رضي when would go out to Makkah, of course this is for either Hajj or Umrah, he would apply oil which did not have any fragrance. So he would pay attention to that that the oil should not be. Fragrant Because a lot of times Oils are used as carriers For fragrance also Right masjid al Then he would reach the masjid of ذُّ the And then he would pray there And then he would Ride his animal qa'imatan Then when his animal would be standing upright Then he would Go into ihram Going into ihram means How do you enter the state of ihram? By saying the talbiya, exactly. ثُمَّ قَالَ رَأَيْتُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عليه وسلم, And he said that this is what I found the Prophet sallam, doing. So what we learned about talbiya is that it should be said, how? Loudly, and it should be started when? When you put on your ihram, and it should be continued throughout the state of ihram. Right? And a person can take breaks here and there, but don't just play the audio of the talbiya on your phone and take a break yourself. You have to say it, Insha'Allah. When you enter the state of Ihram, okay, you say La Umrah, okay, or La Hajjan or La Baikah Umra Tanwa but you don't have to say I intend to, so on and so forth, and then you start La Baik Allahumma La Baik. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.